Memory, agonizing in its cold definition, each terrible moment returning as his mind digs deeper, until that hideous instant when he recalls the transformation, the mingling of the chemicals with the swamp around him, the stark shock to his metabolism, and the bitter ending of his sanity. Slowly, mercifully, as gently as they began, the memories end. It's better that way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, your guide through the weird and the wacky of 70s swamp-based monster comics. On today's program, we'll be talking about spousal abuse and attempted baby killing. Yep, you heard that right. So, you know, just a little light fare for your comic book enjoyment. The issue I'll be covering is Adventure into Fear number 10, Cry Monster. But first, I'd like to deal with some other business. I did receive some feedback on the last episode, which featured Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle. This feedback came in the form of a comment on the website daddyelk.com nexus, and it's from Jimbo9625, who says simply, you'll probably get better. You know, a lesser man would have taken this as an insult, but I do not. You see, Jimbo9625 did not say, you're terrible, you'll probably get better. No, he just said, you'll probably get better. This indicates to me that I'm starting at a baseline good and only getting better from there. Sky's the limit, people, and Mr. Jimbo knows it. Also, I see this as a challenge and as an indicator of future embetterment. Yes, Jimbo9625, I will get better, and you obviously see the potential of this program to reach heights of greatness unmatched in the annals of swamp-based monster comic book podcasting. So thank you for your encouragement. <laughs> so if you'd like to weigh in on the potential greatness of this program, or just add some tidbits of knowledge to the overall discussion of the zeitgeist that is Man-Thing, you can do so by contacting the show via email, nexus at daddyelk.com, or on Twitter, at Nexus of All. Or go to the website, daddyelk.com slash nexus, and leave a comment on individual episodes. That would be awesome if you did. Okay, another bit of business. And this is about something I missed on the cover of Astonishing Tales 13. Uh, I showed it to a friend of mine who said, Why does the monster have a human hand? And holy cow, he does indeed have a human hand. I miss that completely. The cover shows uh, Man-Thing holding Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle, over his head. And his right hand is noticeably human. I thought maybe it was a coloring error or something, but nope, it's definitely human and drawn to be that way. I mean, man, I didn't notice it before, but now that it's been pointed out to me, I cannot not notice it. It sticks out like, uh, well, like a human hand on a monster. I suppose this could be chalked up to the fact that Man-Thing as a character was pretty darn new and not every artist was up to speed on how he was supposed to be depicted. I don't know, but it's pretty obvious once you notice it. Also, I think I said it was John Buscema that did this cover, when in fact it was Rich Buckler that did it. So, man, all kinds of mistakes on last episode. But um, but this, of course, gets back to the getting better stuff I just talked about. And that's why I need you, lovely listener, to keep me informed of these type of things and to give me your feedback. So one last bit of business before I begin talking about what this show is supposed to be about. 
and it's how I'm going to progress from here on in. You see, up to this point, I've been emulating other shows that I listen to, and by emulating, I mean, of course, flat-out copying, because, well, I like them. They're good, so that's how I thought I should be doing this, too, but I'm finding that as I do this thing that I do, I'm much more comfortable in a less rigid, more conversational style, so as I continue, you might find the show to be much more anecdotal. For for instance, I'm going to cut out the news section and simply give an overall impression of the time rather than a bulleted list of events. Also, I mean, I'll still do a synopsis of each issue, but but when discussing it, I'll try to give a more general impression of the story rather than a panel-by-panel critique. I think this suits my style and how I approach things. It'll give you a better feel for who I am and what I'm all about. Moreover, it'll be more fun for me, and to be honest, at this point, that's kind of why I'm doing this. I hope that all translates into a better listening experience and makes for a better show. Now, on with that show. Adventure into fear. Fear, 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 fear. Sorry, I don't actually know how to do an echo effect. Or any effect, really. Um, I'm strictly low budget. I'm sort of the Graham Williams-era Doctor Who of Man-Thing podcasters. <laughs> if you get that reference, you're awesome, by the way. Adventure into Fear was an anthology title from Marvel that ran from 1970 to 1975. Originally, it was simply titled Fear, and was a way for Marvel to republish old non-superhero comics from the 50s and 60s. Good stuff, too, like uh, Kirby and Didco and Don Heck. Most were written by Stan Lee. So yeah, fun stuff. You should go and check those out if you can. But starting with issue 10, the one we'll be talking about today, it was renamed Adventure into Fear and would be the home of Man-Thing for nine issues until he finally gets his own title. And this is where the character comes into his own, uh, gains the reputation that we remember. This is where the mythology of the Man-Thing starts to take shape, starts to build upon that foundation that was laid in the previous appearances. And this is in large part due to Steve Gerber's involvement. He'll take over writing duties next issue. But in issue 10, we get a one-off story by Jerry Conway. Jerry Conway, of course, is credited as one of the creators of Man-Thing. And he co-wrote the origin story with Roy Thomas. But I believe this is the only sole writing credit on a Man-Thing story he has, or at least in this early era. Now, Jerry Conway is a legend in comic books, and deservedly so. For me personally, he was a big part of my childhood. I remember reading his run on Spider-Man, and those issues still resonate with me. And I remember thinking as a kid that when I saw his name on a credit, it was going to be a great story. Whether it was Fantastic Four, or Avengers, or Iron Man, or whatever... I just knew it was going to be great. Now, I haven't actually read those stories in years, probably not since I was a kid, so I don't know if they still hold up, uh, but in my mind, they were some of the best things ever. So you can imagine, as I'm revisiting these Man-Thing stories, and I see Jerry Conway's name on this, I was pretty excited, really full of anticipation to read what his take on the monster would be. And it's... um. Well, it's interesting. I'll talk more about that right after this. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. 
Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? October 1972. I'd love to give you my personal recollections of this time, but I was three, so not much there to relate. But this period, the early 70s, was a very volatile time in America, and the world for that matter. Coming out of the 60s, the idealism, the protests, the civil rights movement, coupled with the violence, the assassinations, the war in Vietnam, the 70s seemed to be starting beaten and torn. New ideas were flourishing, yes. The women's rights movement was taking hold. New ways of thinking about equality and fairness were on the rise, but the old ways didn't give up so easily. Stubborn and relentless, the old guard refused to give ground to those new ideas. The future was coming, yes, but it would not be welcomed with open arms. And so this period produced some schizophrenic narratives. At once very progressive, while still couched in a repressive mindset. Comics reflected this duality. Many writers and artists attempted to tell stories that were forward-thinking, tried to tackle issues of the day, and in many ways they were admirable. But they also used language and imagery that were not so admirable. This was a transitory period of time, and maybe these writers were testing the waters, wanting to be a part of the change but not knowing exactly how to adequately express that change. To a certain extent, that's where we are with this story. The cover to Adventure into Fear number 10 shows Man-Thing cradling a baby in one arm while running off into the swamp. Three men chase Man-Thing, firing guns, and one yells, Stop that thing! He's got Bobby! If it takes him into the swamp, it'll kill my son! Two exclamation points. It's actually quite a nice cover. It's moody, dynamic action, it's creepy except for the fact that it has absolutely nothing to do with the story about to be told. At this time, covers were commissioned well ahead of time, and occasionally what was depicted on them did not always jibe with the story being told. It's unfortunate that this cover seems to depict a story that is infinitely better than what's actually on the inside. Man-Thing, Cry Monster, Jerry Conway Writer, Howard Chaikin Pencils, Gary Morrow, cover and inks, Artie Simak, letters, and Roy Thomas, editor. On a dark bridge, a man emerges from a car and throws a bundle over the side. Man-Thing, standing below the bridge, reaches out to catch the bundle, a baby wrapped in a blanket. The sight of the baby triggers memories of the man he once was and the trauma of betrayal and transformation. Instinctively, he takes the baby to a doctor's home where he lays it at the front door. The doctor and his wife find the baby and bring it inside. Lingering outside, 
The Man-Thing hears them talk of the baby's father, Hank Drummond, and how he had threatened to kill it if he had gotten the chance. Filled with hatred, the Man-Thing sets off to find the father. He tracks down the shack in the middle of the Everglades, where Hank and Billy Joe Drummond live. Billy Joe is, rightfully so, upset that her baby is missing. And Hank tells her to just shut up about the baby, and he's warning her he's in no mood. Outside the shack, a croc attacks Man-Thing, because it wouldn't be a Man-Thing story if that didn't happen. Hank gets his gun, because he's headed up to here with them long-jawed belly crawlers, and he steps outside where he's confronted by the Man-Thing. Hank, of course, is filled with fear, the one emotion Man-Thing hates, and so grabs Hank's face, burning it, disfiguring him. Billy Joe then steps in to plead for Hank's life, and the Man-Thing, knowing that her fading love for Hank has been restored, slips away silently into the swamp. Okay, wow. Where to start to unpack this? How about we start with the man tried to kill a baby. A man intentionally went to a bridge and threw a baby, his own baby, over the side with the intention of smashing it on the rocks below and killing it. Yes, the baby is not killed. But he doesn't know this. All Hank knows is that he killed a baby. There is no redemption after this. Let's just acknowledge that right now. No matter what happens in this story, nothing will ever redeem this man. He threw a baby off a bridge. This is what I was getting at earlier when I talked about well-meaning but poorly executed stories. I'll give Jerry Conway the benefit of the doubt here. I assume he wanted to tell a story about a terrible person who gets his comeuppance and is punished but is redeemed by the power of love or the love of a good woman and learns the error of his ways or some such bullshit. But as I said, there is no redemption for this asshole. When you start with attempted baby killing and then move on to alcoholism and threatening women, yeah, screw this guy. I hate this story. Okay, okay, okay. I'll settle my ass down and uh, attempt a redemptive reading or at least find something good in this. All right. The opening page is is a really nice example of nonverbal storytelling. The shot of the lonely bridge, car wheel, feet emerging from the car, a long shot of the bridge with the bundle falling, uh, Man-Thing's hands extended to catch the baby, then a close-up of Man-Thing holding the baby. It's, it, it's perfect execution. In fact, I have no issue with the art in this. It's moody and atmospheric. It, it tells the story really well for, for what it is. And it's interesting that we don't get any narration or dialogue until the third panel of the second page. Uh, This was a very verbose era of comics, so keeping it minimal is unusual. When the narration does start, it's not bad, it's purple, but it's descriptive and has some nice flourishes. But the dialogue? Man, Conway wants to write colloquialisms and slang and he has them say things like uh, key ripes and long-jawed belly crawlers and I'm warning you, little lady. It's it's what a New York writer thinks country hicks sound like. And it's so forced. Also, Conway calls it a crock. I guess it's a little detail. It might just be me picking nits, but it's an alligator, not a crocodile. Damn it, Jerry, come on. It's Florida. Alligators, not crocodiles. 
But honestly, that's the least of this story's problems. I mean, the Hank and Billy Joe stuff is just gross. I mean, did I mention he tried to kill a baby? Well, if you can get past that, which you shouldn't, you are treated to this guy drinking heavily and shouting at his wife to shut up and stop talking back. Talking back about her missing baby because it gets on his nerves. And Okay. There is a panel that shows Hank in the background loading his shotgun. Granted, he's, he's going out to kill a crocodile. Damn it, Jerry! But, but as he does this, he says, I'm warning you, little lady. I'm in no mood for your back talk. Well, in the foreground, Billy Joe is looking terrified and saying, Yes, I understand you. This is awful. It's disgusting. I don't care what era this was written in. It's awful. So when Man-Thing attacks and he disfigures Hank, we are meant to feel sympathy for this guy. We're meant to believe he's somehow going to change. But how, in, how is that possible? Okay, listen to this. It's the climactic narration after Billy Joe jumps in to save Hank. It's, it's told from Man-Thing's perspective. Does she know? Does she understand what this man has done or tried to do? No. Nor perhaps would she care, not now, not when he needs her. And so the monster turns, not realizing that he's saved something here, that a wife's fading love for her husband has been restored, and that a man has been punished in a manner that will live with him until he dies, a manner that has somehow awakened the surviving humanity in the ashes of his soul. Okay, you know what? That's bullshit. We're supposed to believe that because he needs her now, she will somehow not care that he tried to kill her baby? Seriously? And, and you know what? This is the 70s. He's probably going to get that baby back. The attempted baby murderer will probably get his child back so he can continue to abuse his wife so she can codependently live in fear and terror. Ah, oh, Jesus. Uh, this comic hurts my feelings. It, it's a shame. I, I, I like Jerry Conway, but this is just a horrible horrible piece of writing. Like I said, I can't even justify this by saying, oh, it was the 70s. No. No, this is just bad. And, you know, if this character is going to grow, if this comic is going to get any better, it needs an entirely new direction. And thankfully, that's exactly what we get in the very next issue. I'm going to take a quick break and be back to tell you more about that. Hello, everyone. My name is Paul Matthew Carr, also known as Daddy Elk to my internet friends, and I like to make stuff up and write it down. Occasionally, I'll take those written-down stories and read them aloud into a microphone to record them for others to listen to later. These bits of audio are collected into a neat little program called the ElkCast, and it's guaranteed to make you smile. Unless it doesn't, because life is a rich tapestry of sadness and euphoria peppered throughout a fragile existence, and no one person can really guarantee happiness in a complex, ever-changing, and diverse world. But I can tell you this. If you listen to the show, you'll not only get the aforementioned story, but also the story behind the story, anecdotes, and inspiration. And if you're not careful, you just might learn something. Spoilers, you won't learn anything. But you might be entertained, so why not give it a shot? Listen to The Elkcast, a storytelling podcast with me, Paul Matthew Carr. You can find it on multiple listening venues like iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And online at daddyelk.com. You won't be disappointed. Unless you are, you know because of the whole tapestry thing. I probably could have sold that better. Well, it's that time to wrap up another episode. This was not my favorite issue. I'm not sure if you picked up on that. Uh, but next time, 
we'll begin the real nitty-gritty of this epic saga that is the Man-Thing. The previous three episodes have been all prologue, all set up for the wonderful craziness that is to come. Steve Gerber arrives, and things start to get weird. Adventure into Fear number 11 brings us to The Night of the Nether Spawn. Oh yeah. Hold on to your butts. The ride is about to start. And that just leaves me with little else to say other than you've been listening to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. Man-Thing and all related titles are copyright Marvel Comics, and no infringement is intended. You may contact the show by email at nexus at daddyelk.com or on Twitter at Nexus of All. You can also rate and review the program on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also visit the show online at daddyelk.com slash nexus, where comments can be left on individual episodes. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And next time, remember, Steve Gerber and the Nether Spawn. It's going to be fun. I'll see you then. Bye.